visiting, we're in a uh, week two of kind of a weird Christmas-themed um, service. Uh, we're calling uh, the whole series Socks and Underwear. Now, you might say that's a strange name to call um, something that's related to Christmas, unless you've actually been a kid and ever hoped that Aunt Tilly was getting you that Xbox you really wanted, and when you got the package, it looked about the right size, uh, and she thought it was gonna be funny, and you opened it up, and in there you got um, some tidy whities and a pair of tube socks. And uh, you know, my mom was telling me yesterday, my, uh, she had watched it last week online, and she goes, she said, I, she didn't know we were calling his service um, socks and underwear. She goes, John, literally, when you were a kid, you would open the presents, and if there was anything like socks and underwear in them, you would pick them up and throw them over your shoulder and just move on to the next thing. It was, you wouldn't even acknowledge that you got them. You had complete disinterest. Um, and so here's the underlying premise. The underlying premise is, uh, for me as a believer, and I think uh, for the world at large, both 2,000 years ago and today, Jesus comes as a gift that we often don't really expect and sometimes we don't really want, but when we understand its value, it turns out that it's really the only gift we actually need, um, and thus the theme. So uh, what we've been doing is we've been having our buddy Jim Brewer, uh, Jim's a part of our church, he's been helping us with this. If you don't know Jim, he's, he was on Saturday Night Live years ago, he's a uh, one of the top 100 stand-up comedians of all time. He's currently on Kevin James' TV show where he's starring as, uh, as Kevin James' priest, um, which if you know Jim is kind of, there's a deep irony in that. Um, but anyway, we came to Jim with this idea and said, hey, we'd love to reach our town uh, with this concept, invite them into our church, invite them to Christmas Eve. What would you think about um, playing along with the socks and underwear idea? And uh, at great threat to his career, he said he would be willing to do it. So uh, we are going to, uh, we're going to get into week two, where Jim takes this wonderful gift that I handpicked just for him, and uh, he actually goes around town here in Chester and tries to return it, uh, and we'll look at what that means spiritually in a few minutes. Are you ready for some fun? Yes. I want you to boldly laugh. You know, it's okay to laugh in church, right? You're all, I, you have my blessing to laugh. Let's watch, uh, watch it together. Previously on Socks and Underwear. Jim Brewer received an unexpected surprise from Mendham Hills Community Church. Confused, bewildered, and somewhat flabbergasted by this gift, Jim consults his wife. He tells her of his plans to return the gift. Dee tells him to appreciate his gift and be thankful. Jim has other plans. How are you today? I'd like to return that, please. Sure. Oh, I'd be happy. No, I'm sorry. I can't return these. <laughs> Why not? Well, because they're underwear. Right, and? From an open package. Well, And know. they're personalized. Right, but... Yeah, that's a no-no on three fronts, you know? Three strikes, you're out! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you got to be able to do something. I, t that it's useless oh. to me. What am I? You Look, know, sir, I I'd love to be able to help you, but you know, somebody would have to have an M in their name to want these, and mm. they'd have to be like gigantic. Right. Well, hey, there's a lot of Michaels in the world. There's a lot of Michaels. Maybe he comes in. He's like, hey, my name's Mike. You got anything? You go, I got the perfect thing for you. Shazam! Underwear with a big M for Mike, and he, he just made his day. 
And who knows, a big guy could be a professional wrestler. That's his new emblem. Look, <laughs> I would love to take it back, but can I ask you something? Yes. Why are you returning these? Obviously, somebody who loves you very much took the time out to personalize your undies. I mean, it's sweet. Right. I just, look, to be honest with you, this is useless. Anyone gives that gift, I don't get it. It's, what am I doing with that? What do you Exchange? want? Anything. I can use anything. I'll take anything. Here, I'll take one of these. This has got to be worth at least what that is. I could stick that in a cupcake. I can, I can put it anywhere. I'll take these. I can put it on the Christmas tree. I'll eat this. I'll take anything. Here, I'll even take your decorations. Surely anything but this. This is nothing to me. I can't do anything with it. Please. Okay, look. I would love, love, love to help you, Mr. <sighs> Brewer. Brewer. Jim. Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer. You don't even have an M in your name? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, a uh, Jim uh, Shazam Brewer. What am I? Uh, that is weird. <laughs> it's weird. Thank you. <laughs> it's um, weird. Do you have um, a supervisor or, or maybe? He's not going to tell you anything different than what I said. Well, tell, tell him Jim Brewer. Just tell him Jim Brewer. Jim maybe Brewer. He'll... Does yeah. he know you? Maybe. I've been around. Some okay. people like, oh, yeah, the name or something. I did I'll, some stuff. I'll ask him. You want me That'd to go? Be, I can go ask him. That would be huge. Thank you. Hey, Tony! Tony! He can't hear sometimes. Tony! I got a Jim Brewer out here. He's trying to return a pair of his undies. They're personalized. Package opened. Oh. He'll be back with us would, soon. Would, are you videotaping? Don't videotape. Snapchat. <laughs> That's great. She's oh, Snapchat. So cute. Thank she you, cute? though. He is cute. You're all cute. Um, don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh, hey. Merry Christmas. Snapchat M underwear. That's great. Love teenagers. <coughs> Have a good. All right. Have a good Christmas. <laughs> if you. Um, if you go to Maria's Coffee Shop on Main Street in Chester here, she let us film that um, over at her place, which is kind of funny. Um, so if you go there, just say, hey, thanks for letting Men at Mills use your, uh, use your coffee shop. Um, we all talked about you in church this morning. All right, so what is the worst Christmas gift you ever got? Careful, you're likely sitting next to the person that got it for you, so um, be gentle there. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, remember when you were a kid, the first time you had enough money to buy um, your own gift for somebody, and you're really excited about this. I had saved up enough money in my allowance. My parents did like seasonal allowances, which meant we'd have an allowance for a season, and then they forget about it. Um, but uh, I had a little bit of an allowance, so I got on my bike, and I rode the James Way, and I was all excited. I was going to get my dad something. And, you know, I didn't have much money, so, so I was, imagine my excitement when I was, with just a couple of cents, able to purchase a full um, package, three-part package of cologne for my dad. Very exciting. I believe it was an Aramis gift set. Um, I don't think it was actually Aramis, though. I think it was like the Nakwa. I think it might have been Aramis or something. And uh, so uh, it came all packaged in plastic, and I was really excited for when he opened it. And uh, he opened it up, and you know, he, you know how we teach our kids to lie about gifts, right? We tell them not to lie, except when opening a gift that you really don't want. Just pretend like you like it. And, so my dad was like pretending, oh, you know, oh, come on, dad, put some on. Oh, later. Um, want to save it for later. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I figured, well, maybe he didn't want to smell nice at breakfast or whatever. So um, 
you know, I would check on the progress of those, those bottles weekly and monthly, and I'd open his medicine cabinet. It's a completely true story. I'd open his medicine cabinet, and they'd still be in that nice plastic container, all three of them, right? Like, right in the top. I swear to you, before I left for college as a high school senior, I checked. They were still there, still in the plastic. Never touched them. Uh, Dave Hecht, some of you know Dave Hecht is one of the founding members of our church, and um, Dave is kind of like... He's a kind of a stoic guy, a man's man guy, kind of a, a, a product of his time period. And um, A few years ago, I was saying to Dave, I was talking about what I was getting my wife for Christmas, and I said, Dave, what did you get Nina? And he goes, a wheelbarrow? <laughs> and if you know Dave, this makes perfect sense, right? And I said, you got your wife a wheelbarrow? And he goes, that's right, she's going to love it. And I'm gone. It's impressive, right? You know what the second busiest day of the uh, shopping year is? December 26th is the second busiest retail day of the year. It's because that's the day when many of us head back to the stores with what Antilly spent so much time trying to pick out for you. Christmas returns are big business. You know how much, <laughs> this, is, this blows you away when you think about it. Last year, 70 Billion dollars of Christmas gifts were returned. Billion. What are you wasting your time for, people? Seventy billion dollars of Christmas gifts were returned last year. In 2013, the Daily Mail reported, husbands, check this one out, 42% of women return gifts from their husbands. The same survey said 17% of recipients plan to donate an unwanted present, 13% were going to re-gift one, we're actually going to talk about that next week, and 10 said they were simply going to throw it out. A GameStop survey indicated 98% of their customers had received at least one holiday gift that they'd rather return, and that's why I'm here today, because I am a humble servant of both the Lord thy God and Menham Hills Community Church, so here's why I'm here. You're only two weeks away from the big day. And what I want to do is I want to see you put all this thought and effort into buying the right gift. So I'm going to show for you, I'm now going to reveal to you the five most returned gifts last Christmas. So you don't waste your time. Or maybe you feel bad because you already bought it. Um, but there's still time to return it. All right, so let's start with number five. The number five most returned gift, 10% of people report returning it last year. Beauty and cosmetics. Because that perfume that smells... Just so perfect, it reminds you so much of the missions trip to the Guatemala City dump. I'm sure mom would love it. <laughs> Turns out she didn't love it. So 10% of all the stuff that you, you and I wind up buying in that real fancy area in Macy's, that goes back. Number four, the number four thing that gets returned most often, kitchen and bath items. You go to the mall, right? What's that store that's in the mall that sells the bath stuff and the candles? Bath and bottom. The thing is empty nine months a year. You go in December, you can't, you're elbowing your way through it. And you, you think about that, right? You think about the kitchen gifts. This is the, the classic, I have no idea what to get you, so here's some decorative olive oil, right? It's all going back. 13% of the folks said that they brought those back. Number three, this is interesting, you wouldn't see it coming. Number three, most returned gift, electronics. I wanted an Xbox, not a PlayStation. I wanted a 32 gig, not a 16 gig. And so it winds up 14% of folks are going to return your electronic gifts. This one I just experienced last night. And you wouldn't associate it with Christmas, but it's true. I think it's mostly because we live in kind of the, the affluent times we live in. The number two most returned thing at Christmas, 
Toys and games. Toys and games. I was at my niece's house last night. She's nine years old. She's having a birthday party. And, and my dad, you know, my dad is a 70-something-year-old guy and his wife. And, they, you know, they wanted to buy their granddaughter some gifts, but they didn't know quite what to get her. So they, they had this mother of all gift bags that they had. I mean, the gift bag was like this high. And so Sophia put it down in front of her. This is a true story. You can ask my kids. And so my father, since he didn't know what to get, he just got a lot of different things. And he put it in the bag. And Sophia would reach in and go, got it, have it. You know, and just ripping through it. All of it's going back. Um, why? Because she, I went, same set of kids. I mean, picking on my niece and nephew because they're the youngest. The other day I was babysitting them. And so I said, well, I want to be the fun uncle. I want to be the cool uncle. So I'm also the cheap uncle. And so I, I went to uh, the dollar store and got some crayons and coloring books. I'm all excited, walking in the house. Hey, kids, fun uncle John's here. Let's color. I take out the coloring books, all three kids look at me and go, yeah, we got those, and just walk away. <laughs> Toys and games returned. That's 14% of folks return those. Okay, the number one thing most returned, 62% of people are going to return them, okay? So number two was 14%, give you perspective. You know what the one, number one most returned holiday gift is going to be, anybody? Dallas Cowboy. Oh, uh, you are not allowed to use the voice from the back to insult America's team. <laughs> Don't humor him, people. He'll be interrupting for the rest. I'll be at that game tonight, too, in the cold and the, uh, the rain. Anyway, the number one most returned gift, you all said it, clothes and shoes, 62%. Guys, you're wasting your time. Has anybody tasted the bitter defeat as a husband? of spending all that time and having your wife go, yeah, not so much. 62% um, <laughs> of all that stuff is going back. So I, I hope you feel now you, you consider yourselves conform, uh, informed consumers. John, make a turn here for you, John, who is the writer of the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's gospel is a little bit different. He takes things from a different perspective. He, start, he tells of, of the birth and the coming of Jesus, not with the traditional story that we all know with the shepherds and the sheep and the wise men. Uh, John starts at creation. He's thinking much bigger. Uh, and here's how he starts his retelling of Jesus coming to earth. In John chapter 1, starting right in the, the first verse. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And what John is talking about here, and we, we talked about it a little last week, he's using the word, word, to mean Jesus. In the Greek, it's the word logos. And what logos means in Greek is the exact expression of, or the thought or presence of. And so the Logos, this expression of God, this Jesus, John says he's not merely a good man or a prophet or a wise teacher. John says that the Logos is Theos. Jesus is God. And he would go on to say, in him, now I need you to stick with me on here because there's a word that we're going to come back with. And it really is the word I'm going to need you to embrace if you want to really get something out of, out of this Christmas season, specifically this week. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus, this gift, the word, was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He would go on to say this in, in, in verse 10. 
He says, the true light, again, all this about light, the true light that gives light to everything was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, last week, when Jim opened up an unexpected pair of underwear as a gift from the church, we looked at how Jesus came and still comes as an unexpected gift. One which, despite all of the prophecies and foretellings, one which both then and now is often missed. We didn't see it. It didn't look like we thought it would look. God didn't come to us the way we thought or wanted him to. This Sunday and next Sunday, though, I want to look at what John says in the next verse about this gift of Jesus. He says that he came to his own, the ones he had created, but that his own did not receive him. His own, you and I, today are still guilty of this in many ways. We get the gift, we open the gift, and sometimes we toss it over our shoulders, and other times we say, this isn't really what I wanted, I, I, think, I'd, I think I'd like you to take it back. They got the gift, they unwrapped the present, they took a quick look, and they began to ask God, is there a gift receipt in this box, God? Because this isn't the gift I was hoping for. And it turns out that Christmas, this Christmas, like every Christmas before, it, it won't just be makeup or electronics or clothes which are going to be returned. For many, it will be the gift of Jesus, the gift of God with us. A gift, as John says, not received, that we often just throw on the pile of things we didn't really need or want. It's really fascinating if you think about it. Jesus is so, you ever thought about this? He's so widely accepted and loved and adored as a baby. Who doesn't love the sweet baby Jesus, right? Ricky Bobby, I prefer to pray to the baby Jesus. <laughs> Whole world celebrating his birth. Light of the world, you step down into darkness, and so we open, you know, we, we all put lights on our houses. You go to the mall, everything's adorned with this light. I was walking around Macy's this week, and the other day, playing in Macy's was Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, this is interesting because uh, it's not just Macy's you hear it. You hear some of, the, some of these messages all over at Christmas time, and they're accepted. And, and I watched or listened as I heard these words come echo through Macy's. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's not politically correct. Like, how'd that get on? Why isn't anybody protesting that? Sinners? It goes on. Mild delay is glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. People, there are people this morning walking around Macy's singing about being born again. That's weird. Why does that happen? Why is it so easy to accept this baby Jesus? Why do we love that story so much? What happens that this much-loved gift of God in December becomes the rejected gift of God in January through November? It's almost as if we've been taught to accept the gift and go, thank you, it's just what I wanted when we know all along we really aren't interested in it and it's going back next week. How does the gift everyone sings of become the gift most people are looking to return? And so I have two thoughts on that as I reflect on it myself over the last bunch of weeks. Two primary reasons that I think this incredible gift of God, the greatest gift that's ever been given, God coming to earth in humankind as a, as a weak child, subject to us, and we're not interested. 
Here's the first reason I think that people aren't interested. I can't, I can't help but wonder, as I heard Kyle, Kyle Eidelman talk a little bit about this week, I can't help but wonder if the reason that the Romans in the original story of Jesus is coming to his people in Bethlehem, if the, the Romans rejected Jesus for much the same reason that our culture, specifically here in America, rejects him. The Romans never really gave Jesus a chance because, well, they hated the Jews, and, and so they rejected the Son of God because they rejected the children of God. You think about the average Roman soldier in Israel at the time. He's not from Israel. He's stationed there. He's separated from his family. Uh, he's likely not getting paid a lot. And he knows that if he screws up, he's going to get killed himself. And yet, what is he greeted by in Israel? Racial slurs, uh, ethnic tensions, zealots causing riots. And so the Romans, these soldiers, hated the Jews and saw them as inferior people. Because they re- and because they rejected the children of God... Church, hear me. Okay, this is really interesting. Because they rejected the children of God, they weren't interested in receiving the Son of God. Because they rejected the children of God, they weren't interested in receiving the Son of God. And here's the truth. The truth is to this day, Jesus still has a pretty good reputation. It's his followers that have muddied the waters. I was away uh, last year, uh, almost exactly to the date, um, at a, uh, a weekend wrestling competition that my son was in. And uh, all the fathers were out at night. Kids were theoretically in bed, but I don't think they were. And so the fathers were all hanging out and acting like 13-year-olds ourselves. And we were sitting around, and I was talking to one of the coaches. And I've known this coach since he was coaching my son, since my son was in kindergarten. Now my son was 18. He knows me. I know him. We're friends. Get along great, right? Been to his house, all the rest. And uh, we started talking about uh, faith and uh, Jesus. And uh, he had this interest in Jesus. It was really quite profound. He knew a lot about him and all the rest. And I said, man, I, I said, I would love for you to come to my church. You know, I sense that you're interested in Jesus. Why, why don't you come? And, and you could be a part of this. I think God, God could use you. You're a man of influence, all the rest. And he looked at me and said, I'm not going to do that. And I said, why not? He goes, because you hate the gays. Hmm. They can reject the Son of God because of what they perceive about the children of God. Doing some counseling with a young man right now who who's in love with a girl that's not a follower of Jesus, but he is. And well, I, I said, help me understand that. I mean, she sees your faith and she's attracted to you. Why isn't she attracted towards Christ? And he said, because uh, growing up, the church was just really tough on her family. And after she saw what happened with her family and the encounters in the church over time, she's just not interested. Now, maybe this describes you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're here, you know, you're trying to come with a girlfriend. That's how I wound up in church the first time. Um, Got to keep her happy. I don't really buy any of this stuff. Maybe, you know, you saw, you know, a lot of, uh, thank you all for sharing those Jim Brewer videos on Facebook. Keep sharing them so your friends see and maybe be enticed towards the story. Maybe you said, ah, you know, I'm going to come see the Brewer video. It's kind of funny. Um, but if you're really honest, you wouldn't want your friends to know you were here uh, because, um, sometimes the children of God can get a bad rap. Your context might be that the church is, is filled with self-righteous and judgmental and annoying people, to which I would say, you're probably kind of right. I mean, we're, we're a sinful bunch, 
kind of wrinkled and torn. Not all that we say that we are, that's for sure. Oftentimes, I know in my own life, in our zeal for Jesus, we can act anything but like anything but Jesus. In our desire to appear holy and to try to be good Christians, sometimes we attempt to be holy by making other people appear less so. Oftentimes, in a desire to keep up our appearances, we can hide our own flaws and mask our own doubts and put on our own airs of security. Brendan Manning had a great quote about this. He said, remember, we're trying to understand here why people return this gift, this incredible gift that God has given to man. The Son of God, come. Brendan Manning says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, we probably all agree that that we do a bad job when we pretend to be something we're not to the outside world. Most of you know, if you Google Christian, the most popular word after it, anybody know? It can be, is usually found to be hypocrite. Most of us know that that's true, but, but it's bad enough when, when, we're, when we're, we're acting that way outside of the church. It often happens and is often worse when we, we do it inside of the church. When, when we spiritually posture it's a dangerous cancer. It's a contagious thing. If I pretend I'm holier than I really am, it puts pressure on those around me to pretend that they're holier than they really are. If I pretend that my family, if my marriage is perfect, it puts pressure on you to pretend that your marriage is perfect. If I, put, if I keep telling you everything's great with all my kids, there's no problems at all, each one of them, one's more outstanding than the next, it puts pressure on you. To, to pretend about your kids. As long as that pretense works, we become these insufferable, self-righteous people. And here's what happens. When we become exposed as frauds because we're human beings, and my marriage ain't perfect, and my kids ain't perfect, and I ain't perfect, and when we become exposed as frauds, what happens is our hypocrisy becomes a stumbling block to others who say, I'm not interested in the Son of God because I've seen the children I read a particularly troubling account of this this week. There's a story of a young man who turned his back on the church. His little sister had suffered um, from cancer terribly before she died. And this story stung me because I'm a pastor and I have kids. And the story goes uh, like this. His dad, a pastor, had said when his sister had died after suffering with cancer for so long, said, there is no sorrow here because she's in heaven. And so at the service and for, for days afterwards, the whole family wore these plastered smiles to show the world their great faith. And the night after the funeral, the young man went to church, unbeknownst to his dad, just trying to get some time to think. He sat up in the balcony. But his father was there, and his father was unaware of his son's presence, and his dad walked to the front of the church and began to cry. And then the crying turned to uncontrolled wailing. And his father looked up at the picture of Christ on the wall and he shook his fist and he screamed, damn you. And when the son returned home that evening, there was his dad and his family and all were wearing their forced artificial smiles. I mean, can I ask you, 
Does this describe maybe you in some way? Have the children of, of God, have they caused you to reject the Son of God? Can I ask you just maybe, have, maybe could, would you be willing to forgive us? If in our pretending sometimes that we're better or waving our fingers or being judgmental or being hypocrites, can I ask you to have some patience with us because we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. But here's what I can tell you. He does. He does. And please don't mistake the wrapping on this, this present of Jesus, the wrapping of his people. Don't, don't, re, don't reject the wrapping. Look for the gift. The gift is better than the wrapping. It comes presented in oftentimes. I read this week one of my favorite Christian university teachers. He said that every once in a while when I'm talking to a university student, he got, I get some kind of arrogant response when the student basically says, I have no time for church. The place is full of hypocrites. To that, I always respond, you are right. And that's why you'll feel very much at home if you come and join us. <laughs> the church is full of hypocrites. And if you'll come, you'll feel just like one of us. There's no doubt that we church people are hypocrites in one way or another. Everyone in the world is a hypocrite. It's just that church people, oh, could this be our prayer? It's just that church people, for the most part, are hypocrites who know they're hypocrites, and they've come to church to find out how God can help them to overcome their hypocrisy. May God help us this Christmas to overcome our hypocrisy so that in Chester and Mendham, the children of God are not the reason people reject the Son of God. Here's the second reason I think that people reject or want to return the gift of Jesus. It actually shows up in the Christmas story in a verse that, not surprisingly, no one has ever included in the children's play. Some of you know, a short time after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple, as was required by Levitical law of the time, and they present him to God in order to make sacrifices. Uh, and upon entering the temple, there's a well-known story of an old man. Anybody know what the old man's name is? Simeon. I'll send you all up to children's ministry. Simeon, who comes rushing up to them, and he pronounces that the Messiah, he sees the baby, and the Lord reveals to him that the Messiah that he's waited his whole life to see has now come. We love this verse in like children's ministry. We put it to songs at Christmas time. Scripture says he picks up the baby Jesus in his arms and he, he holds the baby and he, he says, Sovereign Lord, as your eyes, or as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh man, put a lyric to that. Tears in the tears, tears flow. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. But he kept talking and somebody cut, cut it. <laughs> We don't like this next part in the Christmas version in the cantata. Luke says he kept talking. He actually says this in, in chapter 2, verse 33 to 35. The child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Anybody ever hear that one around Christmas time? Nobody puts it to music. 
Because both the secular and the church, celebrations of Christmas focus almost, almost entirely on sweetness and light and peace. And those things are all true. Uh, the coming of Christ does mean peace on earth. But that's too simple. That's too simple. Certainly it does. But, but Tim Keller, trying to describe the sword concept that Simeon was talking about here, he asks, how does a surgeon bring peace to your body if your body has a tumor in it? Well, the surgeon spills your blood and cuts you open because it's the only path to health. And how does a therapist help a a downcast, depressed person? Often she does it by bringing up the past or or getting the patient to confront painful memories and, and terrible feelings because the surgeon and the therapist often have to make you feel worse before they can make you feel better. And now you might say you're taking that, John. I, you know, I never heard that Simeon line. I think you might be pulling that out of context. But interestingly enough, it, it, Matthew, he records Jesus, this crazy Jesus, because he grows up. It's crazy Jesus. He says this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And now here's what happens. He quickly goes on to show. He doesn't mean he's come to incite violence. That's not what this is about. He means, rather, that his call to allegiance is going to bring about conflict both among people and within people. Just like any other peacemaker who's ever lived, Jesus makes people mad. And he often causes struggle and strife both between people and within people. But church, if you would understand, this is how the peace comes. Remember all the language that... that that John used to describe Jesus in in that opening letter about the light coming into the world. Jesus picks up the same concept just two chapters later, talking about himself. In John chapter 3, Jesus says this. So here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, speaking of himself, but everybody loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. Why don't they receive him? Why, why, Why do they return the gift? Because everybody who does evil hates the light. And won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, we hate the light because the light has, it does this thing, it exposes us for who we really are. Sometimes, as we talk about it, it exposes us as hypocrites. But it's not just that. This sword, if you've ever, you ever tried to follow Jesus, like really tried to follow him? Like in the workplace or, or maybe with some friends and Oftentimes, like, people don't like that. I mean, I'm not talking about the guy that's pounding the Bible or quoting stuff all the time. I'm just talking about the guy that goes, uh, hey, you know, we used to get free lunches on the company all the time, and uh, we figured out this way to get by on the company, and all those, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. And your friends start going, well, you know, you think you're better than me? read the story this week, uh, of a police officer, after converting to Christianity, wouldn't take the money that the local pimps were quietly passing around the precinct so that the police wouldn't arrest their prostitutes. And so a couple of other policemen approached him and said, you know, you better watch it. You're making the other guys very nervous. You have to take the money. And he refused, and after getting some anonymous threats, he had to move to another city. 
Because the principle played itself out. You don't have to be Jesus Christ to get people furious at being exposed, at the light exposing what we are, who we are. Just living an honest, moral life will expose gossip in your office, corruption in the government, racism in the neighborhood. The manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there today might not be room for you in the inn. But it's not just out there where Jesus brings conflict. It's in here. Because Simeon makes it very personal to Mary. It's not just the rising and falling of many in, many in Israel. He says to Mary, and a sword is going to pierce your heart too. And, it, and we would all acknowledge that it certainly did that afternoon on Calvary's Hill as she stood and watched her firstborn son be crucified. No doubt there was a sword in her heart and pain there. But that wasn't the only painful moment. That wasn't the only confusing moment. For a mother who thought she was bearing the Son of God, these angels come to this teenage girl and they say, most highly favored Mary, you're going to bear the Son of God. I have a brother-in-law who comes from a different faith tradition, and, and so when I decided to accept your call to be the pastor here, uh, quite seriously, they looked at my mother and said, well, this is good news for you because now you're going to heaven. I said, congratulations, Mom. Um, all those years of pain that I caused you are now. Because in their faith tradition, right, you bore a, a good a, a pastor. So, so the expectation clearly now is you're, you're going to heaven. And so Mary's a human being. And when an angel shows up and says, you're, you're highly favored by God, well, that means everything's going to go right. Nothing's going to go wrong. And so a marriage of Mary's confusion, not just standing at Calvary on that final day, but walking with this Jesus all along the way. This Jesus, he had filled her life with confusion and, and a lot of drama. In Mark 3, we're told Jesus' mothers and brothers found his claims of ministry to literally be madness. We're told they went out to bring him home by force because he was, quote, out of his mind. In fact, at one point, you want to feel a, 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 a sword go through Mary's soul? At one point, Jesus needs to refute her when she comes to get him to stop preaching. And he says, who are my mothers and brothers but those that follow me? Because Mary is just like you and I. She's representative of everybody who's ever loved Jesus. If you love Jesus and you have him in your life, a sword will pass through your heart as well. There will be inner conflict, sometimes confusion, sometimes great pain. You will get things wrong. Sometimes you'll fight with him. He may let you down. And you may fight with yourself. J.C. Ryle was a great 19th century Anglican bishop. He wrote this, which should be true of every Christian. Quote, the child of God should have two great marks about him. He may be known by his inner warfare as well as his inner peace. So here's the truths of Christmas. Jesus gets rejected by, by some because they reject his followers. The son of God can be rejected sometimes because the children of God. But here's the second thing that I think is at work. The reason this gift often gets returned. I think Jesus, Jesus is often rejected very subtly. Very subtly. Not outrightly. And here's why. Because this is so important. A bunch of folks in the, in the hallway said that this has been true as I, as I reflect on it. We have been inoculated to Jesus, especially in our culture. 
Oftentimes, especially if you grew up kind of around the church. Think about it. The, the discovery of vaccines, right, in the, in the 20th century are a major success story in humanity. They've protected millions of people from deadly diseases. But here's how a vaccine works. They inject a weakened or dead form of the virus to protect you from the full-blown virus. And I think tragically a major cause for why some people reject Christianity today is that they've been inoculated to the gospel. They think they've heard the gospel or they think they've accepted or rejected it when in reality they have accepted or rejected what was not the gospel but just a dead, false, or weak form of the real thing. I mean, if you grow up in American culture, this is so true. Baseball, apple pie, Chevrolet, and Jesus Christ. I mean, you can almost hear it, Right? Of course I'm a Christian, what else would I be? I'm a good red-blooded American. And we get this small, weakened version of the gospel, something that, that, that our parents, in their best efforts, because they were good, God-fearing people, said, oh, God loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. He just wants the best for you. If you're a good boy or a good girl, he's going to bless you. But no one ever said anything about us. Anybody, mom ever explained to you this whole sword to your soul thing? Nobody ever told me about that. No one ever said anything about bringing light into dark areas of brokenness or sin in my life. No one ever said anything about picking up my cross and following. Nobody ever said anything about the cost of Jesus or about transformation. So we just get this little inoculation of Jesus. Just enough to make us feel good and safe. But we never experience the real thing. Parents, I, I thought about this a lot, especially those of us that love God. But, but, you know, sometimes we struggle. And I think, parents, one of the great dangers that we all have is inoculating our children to Jesus. We take them to church. We pray at dinner time, And he's never brought up again. We never admit where we're wrong. We never apologize. We never show grace and forgiveness or mercy. We take them to church and we pray at dinner and we give them a little shot of Jesus just to make sure that they, they never get the real thing. J.C. Ryle put it this way. He said, there are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday and they call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They're reckoned Christians while they live. They're married with a Christian marriage service. They're buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any of this fight, any of the sword in their soul about their religion of spiritual strife and, ex and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring. They know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his apostles preached. True Christianity is a fight. Have you ever tasted the fight? G.K. Chesterton famously put it this way. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. 
It's as Ryle said, it's both peace and conflict. It's light coming into dark. It's light coming into the darkness of my own clouded soul. There is in our culture only one way to fight this inoculation that so many of us have been given, and it's this. You've got to allow, listen to me on this now, you've got to allow the light of the world, this Jesus, this self-described light of the world, to bring a sword to your soul. You must allow the light of the world to bring a sword to your own soul. You must get into conflict with the brokenness of yourself. You've got to allow God to point out to you where the issues are, what they are, how deep they go. This has been a gift to me that God has given me over the last couple of years where I literally have come to understand that there is very little good in me. You guys go, oh, John, you know, you're the pastor. Such a good man. You know, Guatemala, you got a lot. Oh, that's wonderful. But if I'm very honest, here's what I've learned. When God reveals to me, I don't like it when it's revealed to me, but it helps when I allow the light to pierce my soul. God shows me, you know, I'm not sure, John, you've ever done anything out of, out of anything but self-interest. I mean, get, don't get me wrong. I love my wife. But if, if I examine my motives, most of the time I love my wife because I want her to love me back. I love my kids. But most of the time I love my kids because I want them to perform a certain way. I, I, I love being a pastor. I care way too much about what you think about me. I give money to God. But there's this thing inside of me that tells me I should do it because then I'll be blessed. Why is everything a competition for me? Why when, why when somebody succeeds do I feel like I failed? Why am I jealous? And see, what happens is when God allows the light of the gospel to get into your heart and bring light into those dark places, here's what you will understand. How wonderful the gift of Christmas is. You will never return Jesus Christ. When I get it, when I understand how far away from goodness I am at my core, how far from God I must be. <laughs> and when I see this baby, this gift, this Emmanuel that God has come for me to be with me, to die in my place, to restore me, to reconcile me, to reconnect me to the only source of life that there is, that I don't have to die <laughs> in my sin, I, I don't want anything else. That's all I want. It's the perfect gift. I mean, His grace, I mean, it just it fits just right. His affirmation and pride in me is just enough. His sacrifice on my, my behalf is just so incredible. And so as the band comes up, this Christmas, I, I, I have to ask you, have you, been, have you been inoculated to the gospel? Have you had just enough that it keeps you from ever experiencing the real thing? Is it a gift? Is Jesus a gift that, if you're honest, you might just want to return, that you might pick up and chuck over your shoulder because the real stuff is somewhere else because, because it seems so powerless and ineffective? Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you? The only thing that will overcome this for you is to let the light of the world bring a sword to your soul. He will reveal this to you, but you've got to allow it to happen. You have to seek it. My testimony to you would be, if you go home and say, God, I really want you to give me a glimpse of who I am at deep levels, he'll do it, but be prepared. Men love the darkness. 
I like it a lot too. Sometimes we would just like to reject and return the gift of light that brings a sword to our souls, but he comes anyway. The light of the world comes anyway. And when you see the gift for what he really is, you can't help but join the chorus of angels. Glory, 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 glory to the light of the world which illuminates all my darkness. Reflect on that for a minute as these guys kind of sing it to us.